Hello and welcome to Charles Chats podcast, the show that focuses on people from all walks of life. Because we don't care if one's prestige is high, everyone's stories are worth to be heard equally. I'm your host Charles Tilianu, and here's the episode Charles Chats with Michael Sarkum. Our guest today, Michael, is the founder and director of Lippingwing, and he's going to tell us everything about the drone world. Hi, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the show. Could you tell us a little about you? What have you been doing at the BBC, and what are you doing today? I first got into drones uh, six years ago. Now uh, I used to uh, work for the BBC,、um, working in BBC、uh, Wales at the time, and this was just at the time when drone technology was really started to be recognised in the mainstream. It was it was moving from something. Where only hobbyists and very technically proficient self builders could put things into the air, to where you could buy something relatively cheaply、uh, off the shelf. And we decided in the BBC this was something that we should、uh, we should start doing.、Um, got our hands on the drone, got some training, and started、uh, seeing what we could do with it. And、uh, I stayed in the BBC a couple of years after that, and then thought it might be fun to. Try this on my own. Set up my own company, Leaping Wing,、um, and since then I've carried on doing everything to do with drones. So a lot of it is、uh, is media work, TV work,、uh, video work、um, for TV, for、um, public bodies,、uh, private companies, and increasingly some other great stuff with drones as well. So a lot of three、uh, D modeling work, survey work, inspection. So quite a range of things that you can do with a flight. So was it the BBC that motivated you to decide to start your own business? What was the idea behind it, and what makes Leaping Wing crucial for you? <laughs> Pays my mortgage. That's probably how you are. Why? Why set up my own company? I think、um, I realised that actually this technology was something that I really wanted to explore every corner of. And when you're working for a, a, a particular organisation,、uh, inevitably、um, the, the the impetus is 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 for you to do a fairly narrow range of tasks. So I I, I wanted to explore a little bit further,、um, see what different bits of kit could do, see what different workflows could do. And just just really explore where this industry might go, and things have changed so much in five six years since then, on the technical side, on the legislative side, on the creative side, that it's it's just an enormously exciting and in, interesting sector to to be in as as a business. What should people consider upon buying a drone? What should you consider on buying a drone? Well, I think the obvious one, well, aside from how much it costs and how much money you've got,、um, is what you want to do with it.、Um, it's so important just to be focused on on your purpose in all of this.、Um, I do a lot of training of、um, new drone operators, and 
you would be surprised and slightly horrified at how often I ask people on a training course, what are you planning to do with the drone? And they say, well, I don't really know yet. I just thought I'd get some training and then see what happened. And for me, I'm just always really surprised when I when I hear that because um, what you're going to do with it just has to be the focus right from the start of the equipment that you buy, the way that you train yourself up, and the and the broader business that you you build around it. Um, and I mean, just just to give you an idea of, of the, the sort of landscape of drone kit at the moment, um, the drone world is dominated, absolutely dominated by one company. Chinese company DJI, who I haven't seen the latest stats, but are probably selling 90 plus percent of all the drones that are being sold in the world at the moment. Certainly, once you get anywhere near the prosumer and uh, professional levels. Um, so, in a sense, your, your choice is slightly limited because you're most likely to go for one of one of their drones. But even within their range, you've got drones that specialize in cinematic world that specialize in industrial and enterprise applications, drones that can carry thermal cameras, uh, you've even got a drone that can spray your crops for you. All of this is from one company, plus um, all the beginner's kit, which these days tends to be incredibly small, incredibly easy to fly, and people generally are amazed at the quality that they will get from the camera even on the absolute bottom of the range uh, DJI drones. The, the improvements that they have made on the technological side in the six years that I've been flying them are, are pretty astonishing. Wow, Michael, thanks for sharing that. I never knew that the entire drone industry is dominated by a single company. Why is drone registration compulsory? Drone registration? No, so... Um... The, the the other thing that changes all the time is legislation. So uh, it's an interesting time because um, the UK drone laws are about to change completely um, on the 31st of December when we're going to implement some new uh, European uh, drone laws, um, literally on the last day of the transition period, of course. So that's uh, an added, added twist. Um, registration came in um, a couple of years ago in response to a few incidents where um, basically the, the government and uh, police were getting worried about situations where drones were creating havoc, particularly at airports. And they decided the best solution to this was to bring in a registration for all drones above 250 grams in mass, so all but the lightest drones. Um, the idea is that if your drone should be found having been up to some mischief, it can be traced back to the, the person responsible for it. The operator is the term that they choose to use for that. Um, but this applies to hobbyists as well as commercial operators. So every drone now above 250 grams should have a coded marking on it. Um, which identifies the person responsible for it. Are there any restricted areas where people aren't allowed to fly a drone? Yes, so, um, yeah, the uh, the restrictions on where people can fly are really interesting, actually, because you've got two sets of restrictions running in parallel. There is a set of legal restrictions um, set out by the Civil Aviation Authority in the UK, 
Um, and those are predominantly around airports. Um, there are a few other sites around sensitive infrastructure like nuclear power stations, like some of the prison estate. Um, and in those places, you're legally not allowed to fly. Um, where it gets particularly interesting is that some of the manufacturers and, and DJI, the dominant one in particular, have decided that they want to keep in with the regulators as much as they can. So they have created their own systems of restriction. And these are actually physical restrictions. So if you were to take uh, a DJI off-the-shelf drone and put it outside the fence at Cardiff Airport, you would not be able to start the motors on that drone because it knows that it's in the vicinity of an airfield and it will not fly there. Similarly, if you take it four miles up the road along the center line of the runway and you try to fly it there, you'll find that it will only go up to a certain height and then it will just bounce off an invisible wall because the system knows that that is the approach path to an airport. Um, so that geofencing system, as it's called, is actually a very sophisticated mechanism that the manufacturers have start, started building into the equipment that they're selling. Um, and they've done it in such a way that it's actually quite hard to circumvent now. When it first came in, it was quite easy to get around it, but I would be slightly hard pressed. Um, to get around that. So it's very good for stopping people inadvertently flying in places where they shouldn't be flying. These restrictions are predominantly for airspace reasons. In other words, they are places where they think that you might be in conflict with other aircraft. Um, however, some of them are what you might say for more, for more general security reasons. Um, a lot of the manufacturer restrictions are around prisons, so you'll be familiar with the, the problems of items, illicit items being flown into prisons using drones. So they are trying, the manufacturers are trying to stop their equipment being associated with, with that kind of um, practice. The, the one area where the regulators have not really got involved is when it comes to privacy. So unless your house is actually a royal palace, in which case it probably is going to be protected, um, there generally are not restrictions intended to prevent people from, from flying over celebrities' houses and that kind of thing. That's an area that the regulators don't really want to get involved in. Are there any current trends within the media drone industry at the moment? Um, there is a very interesting trend at the moment to carry heavy cameras with tiny drones, which seems a very odd thing to do. Um, these drones generally referred to as Cinewoop drones, and they're basically designed to carry DSLR cameras, small cameras, uh, Blackmagic uh, pocket cameras, so those kind of things, and to fly them gracefully through the landscape and very, very close to trees, branches, other objects. Um, there are some great videos of these around and there are endless um, Facebook groups and forums for people building these bits of kit. Um, and I mean, some of the people who are starting to get interested in this are particularly natural history filmmakers. So we, I'm working with some natural history filmmakers at the moment to get them trained up, trained up to fly this kind of kit because they can get a type of shot that they would never get with what we'd now call a more conventional drone. So they'd be able to get closer to things, 
they would be banking around the corners rather than the, the camera staying absolutely level all the time. Um, and then if you take that to the next level, you get the high energy, what we call first person view drones, where the, um, the operators again are flying with goggles, but now they're flying really, really fast, um, you know, 80, 90 miles an hour at, at, at times. Um, this really took off in um, drifting race cars. So where you've got drones literally somersaulting over the cars as they're, as they're going around the corners and banking around and revealing the, the driver's face one moment and then swinging around to the back of the car. Um, absolutely incredible shots made possible by the miniaturization of cameras. So that essentially the stripping down of GoPros until there's almost nothing left of them. And the stripping down of the drones so that they are really small, really nimble, really high powered so they can do these big high energy maneuvers. And and the shots you get are, are incredible. You, looking at the shots, you, you would swear you're in a computer game, but the, but it's it's genuine footage. Um, and, and, you know, these are really exciting areas that, that people are just starting to find out that the capabilities of the camera. I'm literally speechless. Michael, what you described is absolutely amazing. I'm surprised that cameras like the GoPro can be deconstructed to enable what is known as the naked camera and save weight. How can drones increase productivity and cut costs within a media business? Um, it's it's actually very tempting to see drones as 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 a, as a cost saver. Um, you know, when when drones came in, the, the general wisdom was I can get a shot that I would have had to get a helicopter in for now with a drone, so I'm going to save loads of money. I think what people have realised actually is that you're not really getting a helicopter shot most of the time. Or if, if you if you do a helicopter style shot with a drone, you've basically done it after two seconds of footage and there isn't really much else to do. So what's actually happened is that a whole new vocabulary of shots has been created using drones. And it's actually become the new must-have um, set of shots. Um, so productions actually end up probably spending more money <laughs> because because now they want to have these shots that they would never have had before. They, you know, they, they would have settled for what we would now see as relatively conventional shots. The fact that they are available means that they must have them. Um, I guess where things get more efficient is now that the kit is becoming very portable, relatively easy to use, it's much more feasible for uh, a journalist or a camera operator or, um, as often happens now, the sound operator. So uh, sound operator tends to have a bit of downtime compared to the camera operator on a shoot. So I get sound operators coming on during training courses saying, I want to upskill so that I can sell myself to the production as sound recorders and drone operator, which is great value for the production um, and makes the sound recorders more marketable. So everybody's kind of winning in that situation. How important is for people to be trained to use a drone? The, the question of training is a, is a funny one because it, to be entirely honest with you and as someone who works in training, there are a lot of vested interests in training. So if you if you ask a training organisation, do I need training to do this? Uh, nine times out of the ten, they'll say, yes, of course, you need training to do this because they want to sell you a training course. Um, and I, and I, I love selling people training courses and, I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm training people to, uh, 
uh, the rest of this week. I've got three days of training coming up and, and it's great. And I think what I would say is that it is perfectly possible to train yourself to fly a drone. Um, the new regulations coming in for 2021 actually reduce the training requirements quite considerably for some activities. And I think when your ambitions are modest in terms of the kit that you're going to fly and the kind of shots that you're going to do, um, I would also make the training expenditure modest and 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 minimal. Um, it's it's very easy to oversell uh, in these situations. It it absolutely depends what you want to do and to what level you want to take it. I you know I see. I see fantastic filmmakers who've never had any training but have really worked a lot on their skills, really trained themselves up. And I also see people who also have had lots of training who just do not have an eye for what makes a good drone shot. And sometimes I think, you know, was that was that training really worthwhile because you're you're not actually framing framing particularly good shots uh, even now. So you need to think about what you're doing, how you want to do it. Um, now that 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 said, um, I think if you if you are ambitious in in what you want to do and you want to shoot the highest quality stuff training is a very very sound investment uh and also a very necessary one for much of the regulatory side so if you want to fly um, a dji inspire 2 which is the currently the go-to um drone for most people who are working in in tv so you know say in, in straight journalism or factual documentary it's the right balance of a cost uh, and quality but it's also a drone that you cannot fly in um, what's going to be called the open category in the 2021 regulations. You have to have a reasonably advanced, um, recognized training qualification to fly it. And I would honestly say that if you're going to go to all the expense of buying that kit and, and doing that course, you really will be spending your money wisely if you spend a day or two with someone who really knows how to do it and is going to train you how to use it well. You know, just as I, I myself am embarking on a on another sort of technological foray into thermography, so I'm going to be carrying thermal cameras uh, on drones uh, in New Year, and I could probably teach myself most of the science of thermography from websites and YouTube videos and textbooks. But I actually, you know, someone running a business. It makes much more sense for me to spend the best part of £2,000 and a week of my time going on an accredited, recognised training course, really to find out everything that I need to know about that subject. And so that I don't trip up over lots of things that I don't know that I don't know, which is always the problem with this kind of thing. If you if you don't know that you don't know something, then you're never going to find it out. Um, so that's where where training becomes really important, I think. Why is permission for commercial operation required to fly a drone? So, um, well, this is where things are changing. Um, so if you, in 2021, if you're going to be flying a relatively small drone, and generally speaking, in not particularly challenging or risky circumstances, then you do not necessarily need a qualification to do commercial work. So the, 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 the legislation is now recognizing that whether you're flying a drone commercially or not commercially doesn't make any, any difference to the risk. The risk is all to do with where you're flying it and how big the aircraft is and how fast you're going to fly it. Um, which I think is very sensible. So I, I think there actually has been, up till now, 
something of an over-regulation of the safe bit of the market. Uh, so that at the moment, people come for flight assessments with me because they have to do flight assessments at the moment. And they might bring a drone that weighs 749 grams, as is the case of one particular uh, model. And I always feel that, you know, it's it's, it's it's a useful exercise to go through, but I'm not sure it's really necessary. I, you know, I, I don't think that person is going to be dangerous if they don't come on this flight assessment with me. So we are we're moving into a much more pragmatic phase of, of regulation. And as, as the regulators themselves have said, a much more risk-based regulation, which which I think is very, very sensible of and I'm, and I'm very supportive of. Is there anything we haven't covered and you wish to mention? Not at all. Oh, um, I don't know whether you're interested in, but when, when it comes to, to, to news in particular, I, I felt for a while that that's one area where we're still very much finding our feet with aerial imagery. And and if I'm honest, that's where I still see quite a lot of bad drone footage. <laughs> Um, I, I quite often see drone footage just for the sake of drone footage. And I just think it's so important that when when you're trying to tell a story in 90 seconds or however long you, you have on a, on a news bulletin, if you're going to dedicate five seconds of that to some aerial footage that you're going to you know, spend quite a lot of resource of, of time and effort getting, you want to be sure that it has a reason to be there. Anyway, it wasn't just that your editor said, I want you to sex up this piece a piece a little bit you know we're going to really go to town on the production values for this and for that reason you will take a drone and, you, and you'll and you'll get a shot of the presenter delivering a piece to camera and then flinging up his arms to a drone and i in those instances often think you know what what aim did that serve so it's it's just like every every aspect of of telling a story in journalism isn't it why, why, why are you doing what you're doing what how is this part of the story Are you making the, the best value of every second of this piece? These are these are important things to think about if you're using a drone or whatever, whatever bit of kit you're you're doing at that moment. Thanks so much for your time, Michael. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. And today's episode, we invited Michael Serkum, who shared his knowledge and experience in the industry of drones. Charles Chats Podcast. I am Charles Lianu, and you listen to Charles Chat's podcast. Stay tuned to the next episode. Thanks for listening. Charles Chat's podcast.